you can piss off your customers by shipping constantly, right? I mean, you can you can throw them a bunch of garbage extremely efficiently and and lose them, right? You can bury them in features. Like delivery is not the is not the goal. Value is always the goal. Every engineering team could use an easy win right now, including yours. That's why Linear B collaborated with dozens of engineering teams to crowdsource the real, smart ways companies have improved their productivity quickly and easily without wasting more hours at work, spending a lot of money, or burning out already stretched teams. On February 15th, Linear B will be presenting our free Scaling Developer Efficiency Workshop. Designed to help you gain up to 30% increased productivity, this free online workshop will empower your teams with strategies and solutions that let them focus on what they do best. Sign up to the workshop for free at linearb.io slash efficiency, or head on over to the show notes to sign up today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Dev Interrupted. I am your co-host, Connor Bronsden. And today we're joined by Steve Pereira. He is also known as the Value Stream Guy. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really uh, looking forward to this conversation. I have to ask, is a Value Stream Guy moniker, did someone call you that? Or did you think, oh, this is the, the name I want? Oh, it was both. It was okay. like, kept popping up. And then I was like, I'm obviously so focused on this thing. I just have better conversations when everybody knows that that's like the thing that I really want to talk about. So I just slapped it on and uh, who, who knows who knows if it's a good thing or not. But uh, I do like the fact that people can see what I'm about really easily. I like it. it. It really speaks to what you want to talk to. And to your point, it kind of drives home, hey, this is to coin a phrase, the value of, of what I'm going to be speaking to. Because uh, you, you've been a startup CTO, you've been an agency consultant, you've been a systems and release engineer. And through all, all of that, you've kind of been obsessed with this idea, from what I can tell, of making tech human. You know, you help teams define and optimize their value streams today. We've discussed value streams on the podcast, but it, it's been a long time, frankly. So I think this is perfect to have you on and revisit the subject uh, and uh, to learn from the value stream guy. So for those who, in the audience who may not be aware, let's set a baseline. What is value stream management? So, I mean, one way to think about value stream management is just like how business actually works or even ignoring business, how work happens in a sustainable way. So essentially what I mean by sustainability is like being able to do something over and over again and continuously improve. And the fundamental aspects of value streams that are important are the value part. So the fact that you are connecting to a customer who says, yes, you know, I will pay you for this, or this is valuable to me is essential because I think in tech, we've been divorced from that or distanced from that for a very, very long time. In it for the tech. (laughs) Yeah, there's been... So, so much time where tech was like off in the basement or in a corner, just working away because someone, you know, they either assume that they're doing something important or valuable or someone told them to do something. And, and then they often come back to the business and they're like, Hey, here's this thing. And the business is like, Oh yeah, we asked for that like 18 months ago. That's not, it's not relevant anymore. Like we're, we're onto the next thing or like, why is this taking so long? There's a million problems with this like disconnect between tech and business. And uh, so this value aspect is really important just to keep everybody focused on like 
the reason that we're in business, the reason that we're doing anything is, is to create value and deliver value. But the, the other side of the coin that I find really appealing is the stream aspect, the flow aspect, the fact that when you deliver value, it has to be sustainable. That's like, you could think about that in an environmental context, but just from a repeatability perspective and operations perspective, like once you ship something, you know, day one is over and day two is very, very long, right? Day two lasts forever. And you've got to come back to day one all the time, whenever you can, you got to come back to how do we improve? How do we update this? How do we get ahead? How do we take this thing and leverage it into the next thing? And so this aspect of flow is so critical. And so I love value streams just as a way of framing discussion and focus and and as a model for thinking that you can't just do anything once and what you do has to be valuable. And, And that's just been missing from a lot of conversation for i think too long but the connection to value and iteration on it yeah you know just this idea that everything you know we talk about continuous everything this is continuous everything essentially in a with a history that goes back as far as you want you know you can go back to the 1600s with this if you want to but you can you can go back to everything that's been sort of scalable and sustainable and successful throughout modern history, essentially covering these bases of, of value and flow. So do you also view value stream management as not just enabling businesses, but also enabling individuals, it sounds like? Yeah, that's an interesting dive into kind of like the details from an individual contributor levels. Like, why does this matter to me, right? Like if you're thinking about value stream management as this business centric, high level thing, what does that have to do with the individual contributor? But if you're doing value stream management well, what you're doing is creating this cross-organizational flow, getting rid of dependencies, getting rid of waste, getting rid of friction. And what that has as a side effect, or I would say a primary effect really, is that it gets all the stuff that's in the way of individual contributions, creativity, doing your best work, being able to focus, not hating your job, gets that all out of the way. So you can work together with your colleagues, understand what's upstream of you, what's coming to you, understand what's downstream of you, what you're, you're actually sending your work towards, how the whole system, the organization, the value stream network of the organization and its partnerships and everything in that ecosystem connects together in the context of flow. So another thing that I talk about a lot is the the connection between collective flow, this kind of cross-organizational, cross-functional flow in an organization, but then individual flow, which has this whole body of research from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and uh, this idea of like being in the sweet spot of like challenge and skill. Idea of a flow state. Yeah, getting in a flow state, right? So the way that you do that is by facilitating collective flow, right? You're, you're not going to be in a flow state for very long if someone's tapping you on the on the shoulder and saying like, "Hey, can you do that thing?" Or you know, if you're waiting for someone to do something so you can do your next thing, or you've got you're constantly firefighting and being interrupted by like bugs and defects and customer complaints. 
You, you can't do that if leadership is always asking you, like, when is this thing going to be done? Like, why is it this way and not what I asked for? Like, there's so much in individual flow that is facilitated by collective flow. And I think that collective flow has been this thing that's been neglected. We spend a lot of time in tech, especially in recent years, talking about burnout, talking about, you know, individual flow, enabling people. And not enough attention on the fact that, the, you know, the way that you do that in a sustainable way is you build this system of collective flow. It's facilitated by this cross-organizational value stream management. So when done right, value stream management will enable collective flow that then filters down almost individuals by setting them up for success in what their tasks are, letting them kind of focus and have the context and information they need. And then particularly for engineering teams. This means we're enabling developers to do their best work. Uh, we're improving the developer experience and enabling developers to hopefully enjoy their jobs more, get to focus on problem solving and the things they enjoy versus minutia and, and a lot of excess context switching. What kind of perspective then would you say you think engineering managers or an individual engineer should have when they're thinking about value stream management and how it can enable them or how they can apply it to their organization? That's a great question. So I think from a leadership perspective, when I think about, you know, like my primary customer as, as a consultant is kind of like a VP engineering, where they're accountable for getting things done as effectively and efficiently as possible with an eye towards that sustainability, right? Sustaining the flow so that they can tell product, like, here's when that's going to be delivered. They can tell leadership, here's when that's, you know, Here's when we're going to be able to ship that thing that you want, or here's what capacity we're going to need in order to like ship the backlog or do all the things that we want to do. And so what it allows them to do is kind of look at this end-to-end -end flow from what I say, hypothesis to happiness, like the very start of anything all the way through to the end where you get that thumbs up from a customer, you get whether that customer is internal to the company or external, right? Totally. So just visibility of that entire end-to-end -end scope is really important because without it, what you end up doing is you make assumptions about where you should focus to improve that flow. And those assumptions are usually wrong because we'll t we just will lean towards where we have the influence, right? I can, t I can turn this dial, I can pull this lever, uh, so I'm going to do it because it's like, it's easy for me to do. And I'm going to make assumptions that that was actually. And I probably valuable. know more about it too. I'm like, totally. My sphere right? of knowledge too. Right. And what ends up happening, you spend a lot of time doing things that may or may not be beneficial. They could actually work against you, right? I mean, and there's a lot of theory and math behind this, but, you know, if you optimize something in the wrong place, you could just be slowing things down by overloading something downstream of you, right? You could produce way too much. This is what the, this is what DevOps sort of was created to address the fact that like Agile got pretty good at like shipping stuff and throwing it over the wall and the ops staff are like, well, like, what do we do with all this stuff? Like, so you can overproduce, especially if you're micro optimizing. So from a leadership perspective, it's like, where is the real challenge? Where's the real constraint that I can unblock in order to optimize the entire system? Well, and you spoke to this earlier, right? Like we need to align to value and value is usually what will help the end customer and what will help the organization. It may be, even if you're shipping a lot, you have the flow piece down. If it's not aligned to the value for the business, does that matter? 
Totally. And you know, like you can you can piss off your customers by shipping constantly, right? I mean, you can you can throw them a bunch of garbage uh extremely efficiently and and lose them, right? You can bury yeah. them in features. Like delivery is not the is not the goal. Value is always the goal, right? And so there's there's one aspect of that. You touched on another thing, like value actually is really important in this context as well because it gives everybody a common language. So when you're in engineering and you need to have a productive conversation with products or audit or security, if you're not connecting what you're talking about to value in the context of a customer or to the business, then, you know, at best, you know, you could be talking about something that that other person doesn't understand. But at worst, there's a lot of worst you could seem completely selfish and self-absorbed like that you're just out out for yourself, right? You just want something and it could be very difficult for you to put that into the context of that other person. But if you're both speaking the language of the customer outcome or the business outcome, you have something you can connect to that is outside of yourself, outside of your own incentives, outside of your own agenda, whatever, whatever that is, whether you have one specifically or not. Uh, so it really facilitates, I think, productive conversations where you can say, well, here's what I see in the value stream. And this is what value stream mapping is so valuable for. You can show someone something like, I see a constraint here and I have data that is pointing me to this part of the value stream as a, as a challenge. Is there anything that we can do about this? Is there any area of the value stream that you are concerned about more so than that? And that's way better than just having a conversation where you come in and you, you want something or you have an assumption about something that should be done. If you can point to data and have a conversation about data, you're way ahead. So when I say data, people are going to wonder maybe what data? What are we talking about here? Totally. So staying on the leadership thing for a little bit longer, there's a variety of flow metrics and the most sort of complete list currently has been collected by Gartner a couple of years ago and they have 18, but they span product, technology, and business. And so there's kind of metrics that speak to each of those groups and encompass a lot of what it looks like to be high performing. So there's things like lead time is a classic value stream metric. How long does it take to go from hypothesis to happiness, essentially? But there's things like work profile. Work profile, people might know as flow distribution. It's essentially like, what is the breakdown of what's actually being done? Are we working 90% on features and 0% on tech debt so that you know in six months, everything's going to fall over? Are we working too much on bugs and not shipping enough new features to customers? All these things really matter in the context of sustainability. Because if you spend too much time in any one direction for too long, uh, you know, you end up losing ground in another area. So there's, there's flow time, there's lead time, there's value added time. How much time are we spending actually adding value from a customer perspective? There's quality metrics. There's uh, time to restore service. A lot of this stuff, folks, we can link to it in in the uh, show notes, hopefully, but there's a lot there's a lot going on there. Another thing that I like to highlight just before I forget for show notes is 
Bain, the big, scary consulting company, created this um, elements of value from a B2B perspective and a B2C perspective. So for anyone who's wondering what is value, value is actually like one thing that it seems very few people understand because they link it directly to like time spent or effort or quality. Instead of and, actually what did we deliver and did it align? Right, exactly. So that's another thing that I think really, really matters in a leadership perspective. And for engineering leaders, understanding value in a business context, in a customer context, I find is a difference between having like productive conversations when you're in a boardroom and not being taken seriously, right? So, we talk a lot about this from a business alignment perspective. That's kind of how we think about it. Where it's like, if, if you, I mean, we've touched on this earlier. If, if you're tossing features over the wall to product, but it doesn't align with what product actually wanted and hopefully what the end customer actually wanted, there's a huge misalignment here. Like, it's great to, you know, work on engineering flow. Not that enough people do that, but you need to en- ensure you're actually aligning the value too. 100%. And, and, you know, in a lot of cases, it's, it's more important than flow, right? If you can do something valuable, even if it's not sustainable, you know, the way that you get to sustainability is not by ignoring value. I mean, you've got to have value first. Value is like the, the dry powder. It's the fuel that's going to get you to sustainability. Because if, you have, like, if you're not shipping something that anybody wants, you're not going to get another crack at the ball. So value is really important. The customer perspective is important. That kind of brings me to the individual contributor perspective. What's in this for individual contributors? Mm -hmm. Part of it is just being able to see where you are as part of the team, as part of the organization. Like, What is your contribution? Where do you fit in the flow of hypothesis to happiness? What's upstream of you? What's downstream of you? Because that lets you know, like these are the people that I rely on and these are the people who rely on me. This is what value means in that context. This is what I need from the people upstream of me in order to deliver value. And this is what I need to provide the people downstream of me so that they can do their best work. And, you know, that can manifest itself in like artifacts or requirements or conversations. It could be any number of things. But understanding that you're part of a flow, I think, makes you feel more consequentially part of a team you know like that you're not just a a collection of people working together that you're actually like a chain there's a lot of research on this around like if you feel connected to the value your work brings and you're like oh i'm making a difference and you feel like you have agency in it you are much happier you're more productive and that very closely aligns to your point with uh are you in flow with the rest of your team are we working together are we solving a problem that we think matters and has value so that that definitely resonates. 100%. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if we put it in that context, like if you put it in the context of autonomy, mastery, and purpose, mm-hmm. then if you layer those dimensions onto a value stream, the autonomy piece is really like, how do I really focus on the, on the piece of the stream that I, I own really this little own. chunk and right. I know it matters to the rest of the stream. Let me own this. Let me master it and learn. Love that. Yeah. Anyways, we might be going too far into the weeds, so I'm gonna I'm gonna come up for air, and, and if you want to no, change this, the direction, this is great. Uh, it leads me yeah. to ask a question, which is why aren't more people focusing on either flow or value in how they are aligning their teams or their work? That's a great question, and I I think the primary reason is that we're currently fighting 
legacy operating models and organizational models. And in ways that are, you know, we're still kind of in a dark ages. We're in really challenging territory because everyone knows that we should not be just working according to an org chart and like hierarchy. But very few people have a concept of an organization that doesn't work like that and a successful model that they can follow. So one of the things that, you know, that's been started in this direction that's been really successful is this idea of team topologies and like, how do you think about different modes of operations for teams? I'll and shout out, I'm, we have the, the writers of that book on our show, a great episode from season one, go check it out. Highly yeah, recommend. Manuel and Matthew are awesome. And, um, and I think that there's, there's a ton of value there. I would like to take that a step further and start talking with folks about stream topologies, which, you know, when you think about a value stream, it's multiple teams. It's multiple teams working together in a relay, essentially. And how you orient them together and how do you connect them together in the context of a larger value stream network, right? Because you have teams that are, you know, common dependencies of other teams. You've got maybe five product teams that rely on a shared services team or, you know, an audit capability or legal approval. How you think about the flow inside of each one of those is non-trivial, right? I mean, when you think about the idea of just stream-orient your whole company and just orient yourself around flow and value, people will nod their heads and say, like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I would love to do that. Like, what's But it's the- a big change. Yeah. I mean, where do you start with that, right? And so I think that it's challenging for folks to really get on board with that in a practical way because we know that it's not a recipe you can follow. We know that you you can't copy and paste this stuff. It's So you have to kind of follow models that guide you enough and don't restrict you. And I don't think a lot of that exists. So this like stream topologies idea is kind of like, how can you think about this at an organizational level and uh, start moving from your current state, which is like isolated teams that work together and to a degree, but have like counterproductive dependencies to something that flows a little bit better starting one team at a time, right? Because we can't say just, just change your whole organization, right? You're going to have to can fix one team, change and radiate upwards. And my approach to starting that process is this idea of flow engineering, like that you can start with one team, you can start with even a sprint, right? Look at the flow of a sprint and scale that up. But then I think that there's, there's room to define what that looks like at an organizational level. And at a very basic level, I think most people need to care about product teams and enabling teams. Like the two that are the most important are product teams and enabling teams. And even your enabling teams, they should be kind of treating themselves as product teams. Like they should, they should be focused on value. They should be focused on a, you know, a specific customer as much as possible and a customer offering to that customer that is compelling and sustainable. And, you know, basically if you, if you went down the, went down the checklist of product team, you'd be like, yeah, actually we need all these things. What would you say to someone who maybe just says, well, this is just DevOps, really? Like, like why are we adding these like extra words? Like, we're already doing a, a variation of DevOps. What, what are they missing? 
I think, I mean, we can see the evidence of what's missing from DevOps from all the things that people have kind of shoved into it and onto it, right? I mean, the moment you had DevSecOps, it was like more than enough evidence that DevOps is not sufficient, right? It's not, it's not saying what needs to be said to that community. And so they felt the need. They're like, no, 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 this DevOps thing isn't what we, we need DevSecOps. We need people to specifically be talking about security because it's not, you know, it's not represented by default. Because essentially, you know, if you take it literally, it's DevOps, it's the space between DevOps. And I think that's great. You know, I honestly think DevOps is, that's enough. That's hard enough and it's valuable enough. Uh, when you start talking about all these other things, that need to be connected together, then all of a sudden you start to realize, well, okay, this is what value stream management is. Like we've had it for a hundred years and it's, it was there the whole time. We just didn't realize because agile and all this other like software evolved out of projects and everyone thought that value stream management only applied to manufacturing. So it's yeah. just been, everyone thinks been, that VSM is like Toyota. Yeah, exactly. And, it, you know, it's not helping that if you go look at value stream mapping or value stream management, all you get back are like, you know, factories and assembly lines and manufacturing. So and devs don't want to feel like they're part of an assembly line because they're like, hey, look, I have a lot of creativity in what I do. I'm problem solving. This isn't just like making the same thing over and over. So there's 100%. like honest resistance because of that, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to make that that connection. But I think that... You know, the way that I see value stream management is that it's it's really the only way that you unlock all that creative time and allow people to be autonomous and, you know, build their mastery and connect to purpose. Like, you're not going to get that without value stream management unless you're doing something that's exactly the same. We touched on data earlier and how to like track success. Are there particular things that you would encourage skeptics to look at in the data to say, hey, look, like we can demonstrate we've made an impact on these organizations or like this is how you'll know that BSM is making a difference for you? Well, yeah, well, I think that the fact that you connect to customer outcomes is really meaningful because without that, you know, you're kind of speculating that all the things that you're doing actually matter. And so just having that connection to customers, you can continue to measure whatever you want in the context of customers. But what you find is that a lot of the things that people commonly measure don't actually make sense when you hmm. start thinking about them in the context of a value stream. Like it doesn't make sense to track story points. It doesn't make sense to track lines of code because those things don't connect no, to definitely not. positive customer outcomes. Part of the challenge is that it's hard to measure value, right? There's very few organizations that are actually set up to measure value in any meaningful way. They don't have a connection from engineering to customer outcomes, right? The people in customer success probably don't talk to people upstream very often. Maybe products periodically, hopefully often, but we're lacking effective tooling to do that really in a, in, in a sustainable way without you know, taking a lot of time to try and connect those dots. They don't automatically connect themselves. And it's, it can be very difficult to track work across the entire hypothesis to happiness flow. 
So in a lot of cases, you know, you have that relay where you're like, okay, I know what good looks like from steps one to five. And then once we get to step six, we're kind of like, we have to use a proxy because it's like, it doesn't actually like port over. So what makes a good story doesn't necessarily, so what makes a good story from a product perspective doesn't necessarily make a good story from an engineering perspective or like a useful or valuable story. And we don't necessarily have quality criteria that we have tightly correlated to customer outcomes. Meaning that if you check all the boxes of what we say is good quality, it doesn't necessarily mean that customer satisfaction goes up on the other end. Like who's doing that math? That's, we don't even have a role for that in organizations. No, no wonder it's not being done. But that's the hard work that needs to be done if you want to say like, when we do X, you know, we turn dial X up, then customer satisfaction goes up. Um, but very it's few people hard are to track that. that all the way through, right? There's all these other impacts of, you know, CS is doing this and, you know, products doing Y. And, and so to your point, it, it is hard to track and most people aren't doing a job, good job of it. This is kind of like the, the goal of value stream management is to be able to track that all the way through. It's very difficult because the systems of work are very different. They don't share data in a productive way. You know, you kind of have to pull data out. The data has to be in really good shape. It's got to be tagged properly. There has to be some common identifier from, you know, system A to system B to say that, you know, this thing is the same thing from that other system. So that's another thing that I'm a part of is this standard called VSMI that we stood up earlier in the year to try to unify that data in a meaningful way, at least defining some idea of like, here's what you need to do if you want to connect all the dots together. If you want to be able to trace your efforts from hypothesis to happiness, you're going to need to do these things. But it is tough because all the vendors are kind of focused on the biggest software platforms and packages. So they have, you know, integrations with Jira, but they don't, you know, they don't have an integration with like Figma or any number of things like on the customer satisfaction side to connect, you know, valuable outcomes to the upstream efforts. There's a lot of gaps and it's really difficult to talk that up currently, but I expect that to change very rapidly over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think we're starting to see it, right? Where, to your point, you mentioned the Jira integration. That's kind of table stakes now. Right. Uh, probably wasn't three years ago, necessarily. And I think if I'm an engineer listening to this conversation, one of the things I'm thinking about is, how do I implement some of these ideas where I work? Maybe, maybe I'm not the VP. I'm a director, an engineering manager. I'm a, I'm a team lead. And I want to see if I can start to make a difference for my team individually. What would you say to someone like that who, who's kind of listening and, and resonating with what you're saying? I love that question because it you know, brings us back to reality uh, from, from all the theoretical and the big picture. So one thing about value stream management is you, know, you can say that you want to do it and then you might be like six months or eight months from actually seeing data flow through a system that tells you anything. And that's really, that's a hard sell. I think it's a really hard sell. Uh, it's like, can you get access to all the data that you need to? And if you do, like, then, then you have the problem of that data being 
poor quality. So like people decide like we're going to go all in on value stream management. There's like possibly six months where they're going to be just like trudging through a swamp before they get that like, oh, it says we should, you know, focus here. That's what I love about mapping. Like mapping is you're only ever like two hours away from something that's going to show you this is going to make a huge difference in your workflow. And what I mean by a huge difference is you could be cutting your lead time in half. You can save one day a week. You can automate something that's really going to make a huge difference in like the happiness of all the contributors in the value stream. And so I would suggest that anyone who wants to get started is really just like, you can do this on your own. You know, you get way better outcomes if you do this with even one other person. And ideally you want to do this with representatives from across that whole hypothesis to happiness flow. But let's say you do this on your own, just starting to say, okay, well, working backwards from a customer outcome. So we've shipped a feature or we resolved an incident, right? Something happened for a customer. What happened to make that happen? And what happened to make that thing happen? And you sort of like build out this flow of all the activities that contributed to that outcome. That's the easiest way to build a very simple value stream map. And then what you want to layer on is some kind of measurement. And the most simple and valuable I find is time because time is the one thing that, you know, we waste all the time. It goes and and we don't get it back. Extremely finite. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's easy to lose track of it. It's it's easy to be in a extremely inefficient system and not realize because we get accustomed to the status quo and like, you know, the it's the whole frog in a humans are creature pot. of habits. Right. Yeah. So if you layer on time, then the most important things to think about there are how long do each of these stages take? And the the guideline for that is how long do they usually take, right? You could look at the last iteration, but sometimes the last iteration was an anomaly, so it's not super valuable. If you think about how does it usually take to do this one step, and that could be, you know, planning or running our retrospective. Re- running a retrospective isn't usually in the flow. It doesn't usually block anything, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily represent that in your value stream. But let's say uh, your CICD pipeline execution. How long does that usually take? You know the number for that. You could go and get it if you wanted to. Sometimes you can pull this stuff out of JIRA. But once you have those measurements, the most important measurement is not actually how long everything takes. It's how long you wait between those activities. Because that delay is usually what you can make a big difference with. And it's usually most of the value stream is is just delay. So you'll see things from doing that like, Okay, well, every single time we want to do a release, we got to go ask legal to review what we're putting out, or we need security to give us a sign off. And that trip, that round trip out to security and back, what it usually does is, you know, you max out the SLA that they have, right? This, they say, we'll, we'll give you an answer in 72 hours. They're going to take all 72 hours, right? Unless they're not totally overloaded, which is not usually the case. And so you can kind of predict, you know, where, where's your biggest bottleneck? And then you can start to look at like, what, what can we do about that? Chances are not everything needs to go to security. So what's the checklist 
that defines when we need to go to secure it. And if, then, then you sort of create this express lane and a collector lane. And you could say, well, 99% of the time we want to be on the express. And so if a release doesn't trigger this specific criteria, we just go right through. And you can review that, right? But then you've created yourself an express lane. And that I think is extremely valuable. Flow or engineering flow, to your point. Right. And you have mentioned that you have five reasons why you think everyone should be engineering flow at the organization. So let's really get really concrete here. Give folks some takeaways. What are the reasons that engineering leadership should be intentionally engineering flow at their org? Got it. Okay. So under the current conditions, what people care about is that they're losing a lot of staff, right? We have, we have really tough times at the moment. So you've got to be able to do more with less. And so being very clear about what capabilities you need on your, on your team, how to align those capabilities, how to connect all that talent together so that uh, people are operating without trying to do too much and overloading themselves and burning themselves out. So I think that if you understand your value stream, you understand those constraints, you can focus your efforts on where you're mostly impacted, where you need the most support, where you need to automate. So that I think is really, really important. I think as a leader, if you're charged with making challenging cuts or let's say you need to justify your job, right? I mean, you could be in a situation where you need to come up with a new strategy under the current climate to save money or uh, retain your talent. There could be any number of things that you're trying to do. Being able to point to a value stream map and say, here's how I'm making my decisions, right? This is our current performance. I'm focusing here because the data is saying that this is a constraint. We have these dependencies that are impacting our overall performance. And uh, you know, our new priorities dictate that we need to release twice as fast. Or, you know, we need to we need to reorganize our teams because we've lost we've lost staff. So what do those teams look like? So you can use value stream management, you can use your illustrations of value streams to have really productive conversations with leadership and be able to point to things and say, this is how I'm making that decision. It's based on data, it's based on uh, knowledge of what our current constraints are, and this network flow-based view of the organization rather than gut feeling or what you think you should do. So I think being able to like effectively communicate with people who are relying on your decisions and who shouldn't really have to just take you at your word or trust that you know what you're saying makes sense. If you're speaking to people who don't necessarily speak your language, it really helps to have data because without it, you're just a bunch of opinions, right? And the, you know, the hippo opinion is going to win every time. So there's that. I think if you want to be rallying individual contributors and reassuring them that you have an effective plan and that everything is going to be fine, you can use a value stream map to kind of make sure that everyone feels like they know their, their place, their area of contribution. And that they're part of a whole, you know, like you might have had teams where there's huge chunks taken out of them. And if you're able to illustrate that, you know, here's what the team looks like now, here's what the flow is going to look like and be able to connect 
all of those contributions to specific capabilities and ownership of those capabilities, that's going to make those remaining folks feel like they're a part of something meaningful and that you know they're set up for success. Because oftentimes these teams get big chunks taken out of them and then it's just like, you know, make do, right? That's not a great proposal. And then it's really important to be empowering your individuals to make their own decisions, right? That's that autonomy piece is you can provide them with metrics that matter, right? Provide them with an outcome map. This is where we're headed. This is why it's important. Here's the, uh, the obstacles that we see. Make your decisions in the context of what we've illustrated, right? We've got a clear breakdown of where we're headed and what the current flow looks like. So make decisions that have a positive impact on the overall flow, the performance, the efficiency, the effectiveness, the customer outcomes. And then let's say that another thing that I think is really important is just being able to, as a leader, step away from the team and let the team work. And you can do that by having them kind of focus on the metrics that matter so that that you can just be either aggregating the the signals that really matter to you and not bothering them to give you status updates or anything. So having that passive data collection means that you don't have to go interrupt people or ask them to kind of justify their performance. You can just look at the performance of the overall system and leave those individuals to contribute their best work, to be themselves, to operate however they want to operate. You can focus on outcomes. You can focus on overall performance and leave them to do their best work. And I think that's really, really positive, especially when you, you know, you don't want to lose the rest of your team because you had to make hard cuts or, you know, you, you've got all this uncertainty ahead of you. You want to be able to provide certainty in the form of like a clear strategy, clearly defined outcomes, shared understanding. And that's where this collaborative mapping is super powerful. But then you want to leave those people to do their best work without being overbearing or helicoptering them to death. I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great conversation. And I think there's a lot of takeaways for leaders and in individuals as well about how to stay in flow, enable flow for your organization across the whole value stream and actually deliver value from it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And a quick reminder for our listeners, we have a Dev Interrupted YouTube channel. We publish all of our podcasts there. We even publish episodes exclusive to YouTube that you won't find anywhere else. Uh, so if you're not watching there already, go watch Steve and I on YouTube. And it's not just a podcast. We also publish videos that we do from awesome events like Interact, webinars we host, in addition to informational videos that we create to help educate our listeners on things like developer experience, maybe VSM, Dora metrics, PR size, and many more. Again, you can find those videos on the Dev Interrupted YouTube and also the Linear B YouTube. So check those out and we'll see you next week. Bye.